sermon and it's to follow the conference okay so i'm gonna pray here in just a moment just let me know when you're ready back there okay so lord i thank you as we get into the word tonight lord we thank you for an open heaven in your glory that is here holy spirit as you come upon all of us and move upon all those that are going to be watching or listening because we need that holy spirit as you move upon us and help us to get focused tonight in our minds to have eyes and ears of the spirit, good soul of hearts and minds and lives. And Lord, as you speak through me, everything that needs to be said, I thank you for it being as living seeds of truth sown out in a good soil, watered by the Holy Spirit, take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains till Jesus comes. And the winds of your spirit will carry this out among the nations. It will go forth and accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. The Bible says it won't return void, but it will go forth and accomplish what you want it to. So, Lord, we thank you for it, and we bind the enemy. He will back off of it now in Jesus' name. There's not going to be any hindrance. But, Lord, this will accomplish that which you desire it to accomplish. So, Lord, we stand on that, and we thank you for hearing and answering the prayers over uh, these sermons and the discipleship of this ministry. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So, this is a really interesting passage in Zechariah chapter 4. And I'm going to read this. And then just talk a little bit. This ain't going to be real long. But I want to pray for people tonight. And I believe that God's really going to touch you in maybe a special way tonight. So let's go ahead and get in. Zechariah chapter 4. I'm just going to read it. The angel who was speaking with me. is This is Zechariah having a vision. And this angel appeared to him. said, so the angel that was speaking with me returned and roused me as a man who was awakened from his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? And I said, well, I see a lampstand of gold. With, its, with a bowl on top of it. So it's just like the menorah here, the lampstand, but there was a bowl on the top of it and the other on its left side. And then I said to the angel who was speaking with me, what are these, my Lord? And the angel who was speaking said, uh, do you not know what these are? And I said, no. And he said, this is what the Lord says to Zerubbabel. Now, he was the governor. He was a descendant of David, and he was the governor over Israel at that time. And the angel said to Zechariah, it's not going to be by might nor power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And the Lord of hosts means the God of angel armies. But he said, in other words, it's not going to be your human strength. It'll be by the spirit this will get accomplished. And then he said, what are you, O great mountain before Zerubbabel? You will become a plain. So in other words, you know, you look at these obstacles, you look at things in front of you, and there's this mountain in front of you. You think, how am I going to get on the other side of this thing? But the Lord said, it will be leveled down for you. Okay, it will come down. And he will bring forth the top stone of the temple. So he's saying that you've started building this second temple, but you're going to finish it and put the capstone on it, okay? With shouts of grace, grace to it. Also, the word Lord came to me saying the hands of Zerubbabel had laid the foundation of the house and his hands will finish it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you for who has despised the days of small beginnings. Isn't that a good scripture? So don't ever despise small beginnings. Many times God's in the small beginnings. But these seven will be glad when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These are the eyes of the Lord which range to and fro throughout the earth. 
Then I said to him, what are these two olive trees on the right of the lampstand and on its left? So picture that there's this big menorah there and there's a bowl on top of it. And there's two olive trees on each side. And he answered a second time and said, what are the two olive branches which are beside the two golden pipes which empty the golden oil from themselves? So this in this strange vision, there's a menorah there with a bowl on it, olive trees on each side, but the olive trees are like squeezing and pouring oil into the lampstand. And so Zechariah's watching this bizarre-looking vision, and he's saying, well, what, what are these trees there, you know? What does this mean? And so the angel said to him, do you not know what these are? And he said, no. And he said, these are the two anointed ones who are standing by the Lord of the whole earth. And the Amplified Classic says this. Then he said, these are the two sons of oil, Joshua the high priest and Zerubbabel the prince of Judah, the governor, the two anointed ones who stand before the Lord of the earth as his anointed instruments. I read that because I felt the Lord put this on my heart. Many times it's a coming together. And just like at this time it required, Israel needed during this time of restoration that, okay, so what happened was Babylon came in, destroyed Israel, scattered, took them captive. This was 70 years later. They began to go back. But even later than that, um, Ezra's, they're, they're overseeing this process, which was over a long period of time but the process of the temple being rebuilt. So during this restoration time, God was using Joshua the high priest to oversee the temple aspect, but he was using Zerubbabel to oversee the natural aspect, the the governing of everything. These two anointed men were needed, and they were represented by these two olive trees that were pouring oil into the lampstand. So... Many times you see in the scripture where the Lord brought ministries or people together. You know, I think about, for example, in the days of Moses, Moses didn't do everything alone. He also had Aaron, the priest. And this is all through scripture. Moses also had Joshua. And then you see Joshua and Caleb together. And then you see all through the scriptures, Jesus sent people two by two. And so there was always, it seemed like many times anyway, there were two. And I think about in the days of David, David needed Samuel. So it wasn't just David alone. He had Samuel the prophet with him. And you needed both of those anointed men. And I felt the Lord show me this, that river of life in this context here is kind of like the menorah. And God has had a process for a little while where he's been bringing in sons of oil in different ways. But people have been pouring into river of life and and Brother Ralph and them is one of them. But I think about John Davis. I think about Sergio Scataglini and Lyndall Cooley and others. But they've come in and ministered, prayed over us. And it's like the pouring of the oil in, you see. And there's been a preparation going on for a little while. And during this preparation, God's been getting us ready for something really significant, which I believe is already happening. And then Revelation 11, verse 4, uh, this is a totally different passage. This is in the book of Revelation. And you see here that there are two prophets. How many have read about the prophets? How many have at least seen the movie where the, those prophets, they fire shot out of their mouth? How many remember that? Okay, well, if you haven't seen, you need to watch the movie. But I, I love this passage because these two prophets, you don't want to mess with these guys. I mean, if you, if you make them mad, the fire is going to come out of their mouth. They're going to fry you. It's in the Bible, okay? So I know you, you're thinking, is this some kind of sci-fi movie or something? No. 
I'm hoping that while we're in heaven, we're going to see this because that's going to be pretty cool, right? So these two prophets, look at this in Revelation 11:4. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Has God already showed that to Zechariah? Now, in the tabernacle, if you ever studied the tabernacle of Moses, everything in there was wood, and it was overlaid with gold, except, of course, the menorah was pure gold, but all the furniture and all that, the, the tabernacle itself, was wood. And then it would be overlaid with gold, and then it was used as the tabernacle furniture, etc., and that speaks of something. I want to show you a little bit about olive trees. But what that speaks of is, is this. Wood speaks of humanity, but the gold speaks of divinity. And how many knows that we are both, obviously, humanity, but there's yet, yet there's something where the Holy Spirit lives in us and upon us, that there's also something gold, you see. But there's both of that in all of us, Okay. And so, as I've already said during this conference, the tabernacle was made of wood, like a skeletal system of wood overlaid with gold. But then there was these skins that wrapped it and formed a tent. In the same way, you and I, are, the Bible calls us the temple of the Holy Spirit or the tabernacle because we have a skeletal system and we're wrapped in skin, but yet we're the dwelling place of God. God the Holy Spirit is living in his true Christians and is upon us. And so this is very prophetic for us. Now, let me show you a few other things. Streams coming together. So I'm showing you something. I'm going somewhere with this. The two coming together. Do you remember a few years back, uh, Pastor Ralph said that there's different ways to increase the river, rain and, and dredging and all that. But there is one that he said where streams come together. So if you start bringing streams together, the river increases, Okay. In the same way, I believe that's always what's happening whenever we come together with others like we did this week. There's, it increases the river, but God's wanting the river to remain increased. He brings things up to another level to sustain that level. Now, give, let me give you a few things about the olive trees. How many have seen uh, the Passion of the Christ at some point? Most people. Do you remember the scene where Jesus was in the the garden of Gethsemane and he was praying and you had those, those big trees that were there. Well, back in, uh, you know, a couple thousand years ago when Jesus was there on the garden of Gethsemane, there were olive trees there. So let me give you a few things about the olive tree. Israel's economy is linked to the olives. As a matter of fact, for even the temple worship itself, there had to be olives because you had to have the oil. You had to have the oil to light the menorah. You had to have the oil to offer up in different capacities like anointing. Uh, it's, it's a complicated thing, but they used oil to anoint people like the lepers that were cleansed. And, and you just had to have the oil. It formed the anointing oil. So here's some things about the olive tree I wanted to share. Number one, an olive tree can live up to a thousand years. Isn't that something? A thousand years. The older that an olive tree gets, it'll hollow out the inside. How many have seen an old olive tree, at least in a picture, and you'll notice the inside of it was kind of hollowed out? Isn't that weird? But the older it gets, the more it hollows out some of the middle. But it can live up to a 1,000 years. 
Now, even though the tree itself may die, it still sometimes has this residue, these roots down there and this stump and all of that that's still down there. Some of those things could that are in Israel right now in the Garden of Gethsemane, some of those ancient trees that still have a root system there could date back to Jesus when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. So as the tree, an olive tree grows, a couple of cool things. One is little shoots come out and go into the ground to give it even more stability, which is interesting because it's unique to the olive tree. Also, an olive tree, when it grows, it twists clockwise. And it kind of looks a little bit in the twisting. It it's, reminds you of like human DNA strands that twist. But it's interesting that it does that. Also, something about the olive tree that's unique to it is that the leaves of an olive tree are very bitter, and they're bitter so that they repel bugs. Did you know when you read in the Bible where it says he anoints my head with oil and it talks about the Lord being a shepherd, did you know you know where that comes from is that in those ancient times, those how many have seen, some of you are in the city your whole life, okay? But those that have been around farm animals, you can see those bugs, man. They, they land on their eyes around the nose, and they just really pester them. And it's very annoying. So what shepherds would do sometimes back in these ancient times was to get their eyes and their nose area freed up from the pests. They would anoint their head with oil, and they kind of put the oil around their eyes and their, their nose area to keep the bugs off. Isn't it interesting that the olive tree itself has bitter leaves that keep the bugs off? Bugs are pests. It speaks of something like the, the pestering and the oppression of the demonic realm. Listen, sometimes people come in and they've been harassed by the enemy. Okay? In fact, the Bible calls Satan Beelzebub, which means the Lord of the flies. The flies are symbolic of the demonic. You know what repels the demonic? The anointing. When you come in, God wants the shepherd to help pray over you and get you a fresh anointing and get the bugs off your life. Okay? It's been bothering you through the week. Amen? All right, another thing about olive trees is they can endure extreme temperatures. Now, my wife and I have had some different types of plants and things through the years that we've had. And when it gets really cold, you have to bring them inside. And if my wife ever forgot to bring them inside, we came out and they were dead, right? But olive trees can handle extreme cold or extreme heat, which is very interesting. Also, they are pretty much evergreen because the leaves stay green all the time. How many knows that God has called us to be like a tree by the water yielding fruit in season whose leaves are evergreen? The olives that sprout out of an olive tree start out green and then over time they'll turn black. And you need to harvest them in the fall. So the olive trees, when it comes into the fall season... So during, remember, during the springtime, it's the grain, it's the wheat, the barley, then the wheat. But during the fall, it's things like the olives and the nuts and the grapes and all that are harvested in Israel. But you need to harvest them in the fall. And here's something as well, the wood of an olive tree. Now, this is really interesting for those that are looking for symbolism here. The wood of an olive tree burns twice as hot as other wood i did not know that until i studied this it is extremely durable and extremely beautiful 
How many have seen in Israel that they take olive wood and they make all these different decorations out of them? They fashion, they sell them because they're, they're very beautiful. The wood itself is very beautiful. And then finally, the last thing I wanted to say about the olive tree is this. In ancient times, they would press it, and you can get up to four different presses of the same olives. But, of course, by the time you get to number four, you don't get hardly anything. But what they would do is this. I want you to picture this. A giant round rock that would look kind of like a, a big wheel of a vehicle. A giant rock that looks just like a wheel, and it's being pushed. And underneath it is this cement that they, they dump all these olives in there so that wheel goes around it and just crushes it all around. Well, that first pressing of the olives is the first fruits. It's real pure. It's the best press that went to the temple. And then after that, you could do a second press and a third. And then, of course, like I said, by the time you get to the fourth, you just had a a little bit come out. But those um, that's how they got the anointing oil from the olives. And so think about this for a minute. You and I through the pressures of life being kind of pressed down, the difficulties of life, the crushings that people go through, that that is what helps bring the oil forth. I've noticed that some people that's been through some of the most difficult things carry some of the strongest anointings. And there's something about what I just said. It's very powerful. And also with the grape, the way that you got the juice out of the grape was a crushing, right? And, and also we could use this example, the coal. How do you get the diamond? By the, the pressure that's on it, okay? That squishing of it, and it forms a beautiful diamond. So there's something about pressure that many times will help forge us into what God wants us to be. And I believe River of Life as a ministry, looking back on it, we have been through a very, very difficult time for a little while. And it's not just unique to us. I believe that America has gone through spiritual warfare for a while. And also this area, DFW, has been through horrendous spiritual warfare. And River of Life has been through spiritual warfare. And the devil has been trying to shut down any type of ministry that would preach the truth, the hardcore truth, and function under a mighty anointing and see revival. He's been trying to shut them down. And unfortunately, has been successful. But in the pressure of what we've gone through, you know what's been happening? The oil has been increasing in River of Life. Even though we've been going through all kinds of spiritual warfare, yet at the same time, God's been bringing in the what I read earlier, the sons of oil, if you will, and pouring into our lampstand. And God's been increasing the oil. He's been increasing the glory. And he's been turning up the fire. And I think about this birthing that's been happening here. And I don't use this lightly because I don't like saying things unless I really feel it's legit. And Brother Ralph is right. Something has birthed in this that, that is at an infancy stage. It is. But here's, here's the interesting thing that he brought out, and it's so true, and I hope you got this, was that when you go to certain places, and I've been there, where it's just dead spiritually, and you bring in a move of the Holy Spirit, everybody there is like, whoa, you know. But when you've been to place, places like this where it's already been an anointing for so long, it's kind of like having the dial on 9 and then just going to 10. You go take this some other place and you're going to go from 0 to 10 and everybody's going to be in awe of what God's... But yet something has increased and something has birthed in this uh, conference that we just had. 
And there's something about uh, the bringing together, the coming together of the sons of oil. Okay, And I believe that God has been preparing us and preparing, for example, Prepare the Way Ministries and others that have been coming and, and, and connecting with us. God's been getting us ready. But the way he prepares people is through the trials, the difficulties. I don't like them any more than you do. But I've learned to handle them pretty well. Let me give you an example. The children of Israel, they leave Egypt. You would think as they leave Egypt, they leave bondage of having taskmasters beat them with whips. They have to be slave labor. They got to get out there and work every day. They lived in abstract poverty. I'm sure because of the life they lived, they had health problems. I mean, it was difficult. It was a difficult life. And Moses comes, God's bringing you out of here. There's a rejoicing to some degree with them, but he said, we're taking you to a land flowing with milk and honey. And that's the same thing with River of Life. For a while, God has been saying to us, it's time. How many remember that? It's time. Something's happening. And it has been. I mean, God's been increasing. It's kind of like maybe it was on five and then it'd go to six and then to seven. And so God's been doing something. But here's Israel's great mistake. They get into the wilderness and they're on their way toward the promised land, mind you. But they leave Egypt and they get in the wilderness and they look around and go, well, there's no milk and no honey. And so they get mad at God and they start grumbling and complaining and getting a bad attitude. And they kept doing it. And finally, they died in the wilderness, and they never saw the milk and honey. So I've learned, even though I may not like what's going on, sometimes with the difficulties and the trials any more than you do, and I've been through just as much as anybody else that I can think of in River of Life in different ways. I mean, we all have faced different things. But trust me when I tell you, we've all been through difficulties, very painful things. I don't like them either. But God has been forging us. And I think about, through my life, all the things I've had to go through, but it's helped make me into who I am. And sometimes if everything's always going good and there's never any problems, I'm telling you, it can create pride. It can cause all kinds of other problems. You have to have the difficulties in life to make you into what God wants you to be. It's just the way it is. And you know as well as I do, it's during those difficult times that you went deeper in Christ and you learned things then you didn't know. You know, I heard some comments about the sermon I preached on the first night on Tuesday night about the blood covenant and all that. And people go, oh, it's a great sermon. But what they don't know is, is that I felt physically like I was dying during the time that I was learning that. I felt physically something was trying to kill me. And my, my family was being attacked. My finances were being attacked. Our church was going through. I was betrayed by a spiritual son. There was a split. I had people leaving right and left. I mean, we were going through absolute hell on earth. And during that time, I'm crying out to God, and God begins to teach me this. And people don't realize that it came out of that time. Oh, thank you, Pastor, for that great sermon. Yeah. Yeah, you're welcome. But it is an important sermon, not because I preach it, but because of the content. But the content came in great difficulty and out of necessity because I had to learn some things. And once I learned, it was a very high-level attack. I don't want to get into it, but just trust me, it's different when you're dealing with these little little annoying little troll demons. You know, you just want to just kick them over, like, like those little things that run around annoy you, those things. This is different. It's different when you start dealing with principalities and powers and wickedness in the heavenly realms that want to take you out, completely out. That's different. And during those times, 
you have to really dig down deep in Christ and you got to learn who you are, what you have in Christ. You got to learn the power of the blood. You got to have faith in the word and you've got to stand strong. Or the enemy actually could take you out if you, if you let him, okay? Because he wants to, he'll try. So some things I've learned, River of Life, we've been through it, but I believe something is birthed and I believe that we're moving into a time where God's going to be, begin to restore everything. And so it's a, it's a process that's been going on, but something has changed now in this conference, okay? So here's a few other things that I want to pray for people, but before I pray, I want to explain something. But let's go into this, the new and the old. You have to understand, we need to be on the cutting edge of what God's doing. There's a fresh move of the Lord. There's, a, there's fresh worship. There's, there's a new move that's going on today. But at the same time, you have to understand our roots that go back into the root system of River of Life that goes back to holiness, Pentecost, revival. Does that make sense? And so you understand a fresh move of God now, but you don't get away from your heritage. There's certain things that, that are established, okay? And so let me try to explain this. Matthew thirteen fifty one. Jesus was talking about a scribe. These were those that were among like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Okay, these were those that were religious people. That um, the scribe in particular were trained to take and, and write out maybe the, the Bible. You look at one copy and they would have to handwrite another copy perfectly. So scribes were very well taught in their grammar and, of course, copying something verbatim because they could start a scroll, and if they made a mistake or two, they had to get they had to destroy the whole scroll and start all over again if they were dealing with God's word. So they had to be real meticulous. But Jesus said this, have you understood all these things? And Jesus was telling all these different parables. And then Jesus said yes, and then Jesus said to them, therefore, look at this, every scribe, who has become a disciple. So a scribe would have been somebody that understood the depth of what the word of God says. They understood the law and the prophets. They understood the Hebrew roots. They understood the depth of all of that. But has become a disciple. Now they had accepted Jesus as their savior who was walking the earth and ministering at that time. It was the cutting edge of what God was doing. So they understood both the old and they were on the cutting edge of what God was doing at the same time. He said, every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a head of a household who brings out of his treasure things new and old. So I think about for the way that that pertains to me personally in River of Life is, is that I feel like I have a root system and a heritage that goes back, for example, with people like Steve Hill's ministry and Leonard Ravenhill, and it goes back to the revivals of ancient times, and not just the 90s, but even further back. It's a revival ministry, a heritage. And I don't get away from that. There's an understanding of holiness in the revival heritage. There's an understanding. Do you, know, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? There's an understanding of holiness. Yet many today have lost that. But those of us that have a root system, and, it, and let me show you what I'm talking about. Jeremiah 6, 16, 
God was about to destroy Israel and send them into captivity. And Jeremiah was weeping over Israel, but this is what the Lord said through him. Stand at the roads and look and ask for the eternal paths where the good old way is. The old way. Everybody say the old way. And then walk in that. And he said, and you will find rest for your souls. But Israel said, we will not walk in it. And that's what concerns me sometimes for some of the younger generation. They get caught up with the smoke and the lights and what's cool and all of that, and that's fine. But you better be careful because if they don't understand holiness and they don't understand the old paths and combine it with what God's doing cutting edge today, then it can go off into some stuff where things are permitted that shouldn't be permitted. And that's exactly what's happening right now. There's an old path, a path of righteousness, a path of holiness, a path where you're selective about the entertainment in your life. You're selective about the conversations you have. You're selective about the company you keep. You guard yourself. You guard your holiness in your life, okay? There's an understanding of that, but at the same time, being on the cutting edge of what God's doing right now. And then finally, the last thing I would say is this, the Hebrew roots of the faith. Romans eleven seventeen, talking about the olive branch, the olives, the olive tree. The way that Israel is just like that menorah over there. The root system was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the covenant with Abraham. Out of that root system sprung up the branch, which is Christ, the center of the menorah. And then he said the branches that came out of that olive tree, if you will, spoke of Israel, but he says here that some of the branches were broken off because they didn't believe. They didn't accept Christ. So therefore, they were cut off from among God's people and discarded. But you, the Gentiles, being a wild olive branch, were grafted in among them and became a partaker in the rich root system of that olive tree. So do not be arrogant toward the branches, but if you are arrogant, remember that it it is not you that support the root, but it is the root system that supports you. You will say then branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well, quite right. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But Paul says, but you better stand in faith and do not be conceited, but fear. Because if God did not spare the natural branches, he won't spare you either. That's so why Paul said. I beat my body into submission. I keep myself holy is what he's saying after preaching to others that I myself could become a castaway. Wouldn't it be a terrible thing? Because did you know that there's some preachers in hell tonight while I'm preaching? They're in hell right now, burning. And uh, I'm sure hell for them is a little bit worse than it might be for the next guy. Kind of like a cop that goes to prison. It's going to be worse for him than the next guy. But we preach to others, you better make sure to have a healthy fear of God and never lose it. As you can witness to others and go straight to hell. I remember one time I was witnessing, and, and I've done a lot of street evangelism. I, I, I was connected to Steve Hill's ministry, and there's always been a heart for souls. I remember one time I was down there at Deep Element, and we were witnessing on the streets, and I had a few Christians with me, and there was like, it's all just bars and tattoo parlors and all this back then. I think it's different now. We, the Christians invaded that darkness, man. We shut it down. I'm just telling you. 
It used to be a hot spot in the 90s. It's not anymore. But I remember going through there, and we were witnessing all these people. There's people that claimed to be Satanists. There's people that claimed to be witches. There are people that all kinds of crazy people. And this, this one Satanist guy was scared of me, man. But anyway, this guy comes stumbling out of a bar. I mean, he's hammered drunk. And so we started talking to him about Jesus, and he starts quoting Scripture. And he did a good job. He quoted like a whole paragraph. I'm still looking at this guy hammered drunk. I just remember telling him, I was like, that ain't going to get you into heaven, man. You quoting that little Scripture right there? You're just as drunk. I was like, that's not going to get you into heaven. You better get your life right with God. Sobered him up a little bit, and then he just staggered off, you know. Hopefully he'll remember the conversation. In Romans 14, now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. Listen, we need to be careful with this judging people business too much, okay? One person has faith that he may eat all things. Now, I'm going to explain this really quickly and get off of it. But during this time, the culture in Rome was pagan temples everywhere. And people would bring their offerings to the temple to offer it to those gods. And then they would kill the animal and they would sell the meat in the market. And so when you went to buy your groceries, you didn't know for sure if that meat had been offered up to idols or not. Does that make sense? It was everywhere. It was everywhere. And so it became this big debate among the Christians, should we eat meat sacrificed to idols? And Paul said, look, pray over it. It's consecrated by the word of God in prayer. Don't worry about it. Just go buy your groceries. When you get home, just pray over it and consecrate it unto God. That was Paul's opinion, which I agree with. But he said some that have don't have faith like that, he said they may just eat vegetables and not eat the meat there. And he said don't judge them. Don't judge them for their convictions, and they shouldn't judge you for your convictions. This is important that we understand this. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who doesn't. The one who does not eat shouldn't judge the other. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To your own master you stand or fall, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Uh, One person regards one day. For example, I love the, the various feasts, and we celebrate tabernacles. There's other Christians that couldn't care less about the Feast of Tabernacles. Hey, whatever. So one person regards one day as holy and another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. For he who observes tabernacles observes it to the Lord. He who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who does not eat, the Lord, um, for the Lord he does not eat and gives thanks to God. For one of us, not one of us, Uh, lives for himself and not one of us dies for himself for if we live we live for the lord if we die we die for the lord therefore whether we live or die we are the lord's for to this end christ died till and lived again that he might be both uh, god of the living and the dead but you why do you judge your brother or again why do you regard your brother with contempt for we will all stand before the judgment seat of christ So we need to quit being judgmental and critical of other people about their convictions, okay? Let God do a work in their life, all right? And be patient with people. And I want to close with this, and I want to pray for people. And I want to make sure we have plenty of time to pray because there's a reason for that in just a moment. What we're going to give people, this goes back to like the, I guess the way God has always used me in the past. As far back as I can remember, I've always had this about me personally. 
I'm just going to preach the word and then pray for people. So all I'm really giving people is just what the Bible says and then praying for people, the power of the Holy Spirit. And I remember years ago, I had to minister amongst a younger group of people, but it was like a kind of like a teen challenge for those that are familiar with it, but it wasn't teen challenge. But it was a group of younger people, and there was quite a few of them, probably 80. And I ministered there on a regular basis, but they were from every type of background you could imagine. I mean, extremely poor money, uh, different ethnicities, different backgrounds. Some were Baptist, some were Catholic, some were a few were Pentecostal. It was very eclectic. And I remember ministering there and I never preached my opinions and I never preached pet doctrines or traditions of men. I didn't get in there preaching some doctrine thing out of a certain denomination. I went in there and I just preached the Bible and then I prayed for people and the power of God came down. I saw these young people all the time, just all over the ground, being healed of things. There were several stories of people delivered from demons, baptizing the Holy Ghost, the power of God came down. But all I ever did, and every once in a while I'd have one of them that grew up a certain way and they wouldn't like something. I'll give you an example. One girl grew up Baptist, so she didn't like the tongues. I was praying for people. Some people getting baptized in the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues. And she said, well... She was standing there, and I was praying for people, and she said, well, I don't, I don't want to really want to speak in tongues. I said, I don't care if you speak in tongues or not. I'm just preaching the word and praying for people. I said, my advice to you is, why don't you just say, Jesus, just give me whatever is really of you. And she said, okay, I'll do that. She said, Jesus, I want whatever. And by the time she got that sentence out, she fell backwards speaking in tongues. That was straight from the Lord. Because I didn't actually even like, oh, take it or anything. I was just agreeing with her because I was just standing next to her and she's going, Lord, whatever you have. And the tongue started coming out of her and she went out. I had a lot of stories like that because these young people were just there just to receive whatever Jesus had for them. My attitude was, I'm just coming in here. I'm opening my Bible. I'm going to preach what the Bible says, whether you like it or not. And I'm, then I'm going to pray for people and the power of the Holy Spirit's going to come. So I'm giving you the word and the spirit, nothing else. I'm not giving you my opinion. I'm just giving you what God has for you. So just open up and say, Jesus, whatever you have for me. And I saw more testimonies, more miracles. One young girl, she was pretty young, I would guess maybe 14. But she had, I remember that they had go out there and play soccer and stuff. And I noticed that she never would play, but she had injured her knees, if I remember right, um, skiing. And she could not run and get out there and play soccer and stuff because they really bothered her. And so she's like, we pray for my knees. And I remember praying for her and she fell out. And I just remember kind of praying over her knees and then going on, Lord, just heal the girl, you know. And it, it troubled me because she was really young to have knee problems, you know. And then a little while passes, I come back again to minister, and she's one of the ones running up to me, and she's trying to get my attention. I say, yeah, what's up? And she says, I've been playing soccer ever since you left. My knees have not bothered me at all. I said, wow, God healed your knees. There's a lot of stories like that. People baptizing the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, and deliverance from demons. I remember one girl, uh, you know, a pretty young girl, speaking like in a man's voice, demon manifesting. And um, it was just the craziest. In another one, I was praying. I got to her, and I knew there was something there. I could feel it. And I was like, I break this in Jesus' name. And then she just, she like bounced. She, I mean, she was standing there. But she just kind of ding. And, I, 
And next thing I know, she, this, this happened. she took off running out in the woods, man. They had to go get that girl. She took off. And I mean, can you imagine being in my shoes? I'm sitting there praying, and I'm like, something's there. In Jesus' name, I break this. And all of a sudden, bing, choom, she takes off. She's, run, she's running in the woods. So the leaders went, and they, I guess they, I didn't see it, a football tackle or whatever they did, and they brought her back in. And so I'm praying for her, and I'm not exaggerating because she started manifesting demons. And she, I remember she was stoned back on the ground, and she was just a sweet young girl. It's not her fault. I mean, I think if I remember right, she had been raped or something, and that's how they got in. So, you know, have compassion for people, okay? But it was a funny story in that I was so alone. I remember I was praying for her, and I felt like I had this army with me of people. And next thing I know, it was like one of those westerns where the little tumbleweed, and you're by yourself facing the enemy, you know, because I'm like, where'd everybody go, man? As I was focused on, on the girl, and I turned around, and they all had went behind me because they were like, we want you facing this, and we're just going to go way back here. And they're all a bunch of wimps and sissies back here hiding. And I'm like, where, where did my friends go? Man, you are leaving me here to deal with this. But I remember one of them was a spirit of witchcraft, and it came out with this really high-pitched, blood-curdling scream, man. It was creepy. But God delivered people from demons, healed people, baptized in the Holy Spirit because I did not go in there to preach my opinions. I didn't go in there to preach uh, pet doctrines of denominations. I didn't preach legalism. I, I didn't debate and argue with people. There was sometimes somebody say, well, I don't like this. And I'd open the Bible and say, look, I'm not really interested if you like it or not. This is what the Bible says right here. If you have a problem with it, you have a problem with God because God wrote this book. And that's the attitude I kept the whole time. I don't care if you like it or not. It's in the Bible. I'm preaching the Bible unapologetically, and we're going to see the power of God. If you don't like the power of God, remember that funny story about the girl that ran and hid from me? And then she fell out, and they had to carry her off. Well, yeah, she didn't like the power of God until the power of God hit her. And then she's one, after that, she's one of the ones that would come up and want prayer. You know, it's funny how people are like, oh, man, you know, and then they get prayer and they feel God so deeply touch them. And then they're the first ones up next time. Hey, pray for me. And it's kind of like little Kennedy. You know, she comes and she's like, Pastor, you going to pray for people now? <laughs> I'll pray for you, Kennedy. Because she got touched by God and she likes how that feels. How many like how it feels when God touches you? Amen. So I love ministering to young people. I really hope that in, in this coming move of God, there's a lot a disproportionate amount of young people because I really love ministering to younger people because they're hungry for God and they don't, they just don't care about uh, dead religion, traditions and all that. They're just not into that. They just want, what does the Bible say? And I want to feel that power again. You know, I want God to touch me. And they just love, and, and because of that, they just fall in love with Jesus. And that's, that's what happened, wasn't it, Fernand? And, you know, when did you get saved? You're probably like 2013. How old were you? Do you remember? About 13. I remember that. And I remember Fernando coming in and, and Jerry and these other guys, and they were pretty young. Jerry, you were really young. I mean, you were a little guy. But I remember the power of God hitting these guys, and they're still here tonight because of God touching their life. Amen. Well, there's going to be a lot more coming in that are young people and we need y'all to love them and they they may come in with a lot of weirdness because there's a lot of weird stuff going on nowadays but let me just say this and we'll pray for people y'all just unconditionally love them when they come in because let jesus do a work in them 
If there's somebody that's a problem or whatever, God knows he'll clear out a wolf among the sheep. But look, most of them may come in and look pretty weird or whatever, or they have different things about them that maybe a religious person doesn't care for. But look, just love them, okay? Be the type of church that they're like, they feel accepted. Because I remember um, I used to minister in Mesquite at this youth and I, a youth group, and I, I was, I don't know, I was probably really young myself. I think I was 19, 20. But as I was ministering there, there was a lot of young people starting to come. But one of the problems I had was the old people at the church. They were just mean, you know. <laughs> this one this one guy, now listen, they had a joke, but he did kind of, he looked like the, what's that guy, Kentucky Fried Chicken guy? Colonel Sand, Colonel Sand, he really did look like him. Okay, I, I didn't make fun of the guy because I respect, but they they would. And he looked, but he was mean, and he kind of drew them making fun of him because he'd be like, "What are you doing, little boy?" You know, and they'd all be sitting there scared of him. It's like, why don't y'all just be nice to these kids that are coming in off the street? Their parents don't go to church. They're, I mean, it's a it's a wonderful miracle that they're here tonight. Why don't you just be nice to them? You know, and instead of I mean, they would do stupid stuff. I, I'm not going to say some of it in front of the camera here. On, but they, they did some dumb, uh, don't get me wrong, they did some stupid stuff. But they, it was just, they were just kids. And, they, and these old people get so mad. And I'm thinking, and of course, I was pretty young myself. But I remember thinking, they're just kids. Of course, they do stupid stuff. You did stupid stuff when you was a kid. I did stupid. And so just relax, man. If they do something dumb, just let it go, you know. And that was what Steve Hill told me one time. He said, well, I was asking about different things. And he said, Scott, when you have a bunch of young people, don't be too hard on them. They're going to make mistakes and do some dumb stuff, some stuff they know better. He says, don't be too hard on them. Let them come back and experience the Lord, Okay. So let's just relax and give everybody the word of God and the power of God and watch what the Lord will do. If you don't mix into it your opinions and all these traditions and all this pet doctor, if you don't do that and, and, and uh, pollute it, if you'll just give them the pure word and the power of God, you watch as God does something really powerful right in front of your eyes. He'll heal people. Yes, he will. He will deliver them. He'll change their life. I'm telling you. So, Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you, Lord, for the great preparation. We thank you for the birthing that has come. And as we're going to go through and pray for people tonight, Lord, I thank you for a deep, powerful work in them. And I, I want to say this here in just a moment as, before I pray for you because we're going to do that right now, okay? But I felt for, from the time I entered in here that people need to learn to, to soak in God's presence, we're going to go through and pray for you, but I feel a deep presence of God. And I encourage you tonight, if you do get hit by the power and fall out, just soak in the presence of God for a while. Don't get up real quick. Just soak there. And don't get to talking. Just talk to the Lord. If there's something that you need God to do in you, that's the time to talk to him about it. If you're concerned about some things, that's when you need to pray about it. But let God touch you. If you don't necessarily fall out under the power... Just go find a place that you can lay back and soak in God's presence for a little bit and talk to God. Learn to linger in his presence. Moses took Joshua with him, and then Moses would, would have to go deal with stuff. And the Bible says Joshua would just would stay there in the presence of God and soak in his presence. It says that. He stayed there, lingered. And did you know that Joshua ended up being the great leader after Moses? I think it's connected. 
because he was somebody that loved God's presence and would just stay there, just soak in the presence. Be like a sponge and don't just do it tonight. Learn this principle. Soak in God's presence for a while. Get filled with extra oil. The longer that you stay there and linger in his presence, the deeper he will, he will do a work in you. And let me say something from the 90s revivals, okay? That's God's operating table. Let him cut out of you what needs to go and put in you what needs to come. Okay, just stay on that operating table. Brother Rodney used to, people try to get up, he'd go back over there and push him back and say, stay, you need more, you know. And <laughs> he did, it was funny too, because he'd go to some religious churches, man, and he'd come in there and just blow them up. But Lord, we just thank you for it, and we thank you for hearing and answering the prayers over this time, Lord, that there would be a deep, rich impartation tonight in every life in Jesus' name. All right, so let's move the chairs, and we're going to turn on some worship. We're going to pray for people.